Welcome to WeAreTechnology.com's User-Friendly 2.0 with host Bill Sickens, Technology Architect. And this is User-Friendly 2.0. Got a great show for you this week. We're going to be looking at a number of different things, including Elon Musk's new Starlink satellite internet service and some different ways you can get online. We're going to be talking about cord cutting. We, of course, answer your questions and have a number of good ones coming up here. So all of that is going to be this week here on User-Friendly 2.0. Send us your questions and comments, 503-766-6264. One user-friendly on Facebook, one user-friendly on Twitter. Today's news is brought to you by Clancy's Pub and Restaurant, located in Old Town Sherwood. Join us for Sherwood's finest home-cooked classics and comfort food, created using only the freshest ingredients and the finest Northwest seafood. So what's in the news today? Google to remove third-party cookies from Chrome application. So this is another situation that has to deal with this concern about antitrust. And what this is, is a situation where it has to do with the advertising within the Chrome browser. So what's happening here is up until now, if you have a site and you go through, and I think we've all experienced this where you've looked up something, then all of a sudden you start getting ads for that everywhere you go on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the way that that works is through something called cookies. A cookie is a small bit of information that's stored on your local computer that has information in it so that when you go to the next site, it can read the cookie, see what you looked at and present advertising relevant for that. And what Google's doing here is they're saying, well, we're no longer going to support third-party cookies, in other words, from other things like a newspaper or something, and we're just going to track Google cookies or Google information. I think they're doing it a different way than cookies, actually, but Google information. So if it's a Google-authorized advertising site, then it can still track and give the right information, but it basically locks out everybody's ability to do that that's not Google. And this is definitely a concern being looked at by antitrust regulators. Yeah. Quibi reportedly in talks to sell its shows to Roku. So real quick, Jeremy, what's Quibi? Quibi is a, like, streaming service, but as far as I remember, it was only available, like, on a phone. Yeah, because I've never heard of it. It It's like, in in the episodes of the shows were, like, really short. So the idea was it was a launch for something where you could watch quick content on your phone. Yeah. And whether or not that's a good thing is for other experts in that area. But the one yeah, big problem that it had is it launched right at the start of the COVID-19 pandemic when all of a sudden oh. people stopped traveling and watching stuff on their phone. So it was really bad timing on top of yeah. a service that may or may not have been worth it. Wait, isn't it just TikTok then? Yeah, well, TikTok is uh, you produce your own stuff. Quibi was trying to produce their own shows in that kind of a format. Oh. Yeah, so, imagine like a really quick episode of like Law and Order, like seven minutes. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, the idea is you're at the airport, you have some time, you can watch something. I mean, you know, maybe or maybe not that could have taken off. But right now they're looking at showing, uh, selling these custom-made shows to Roku and seeing if they can get them distributed on that platform. A final decision has not been made at this point, but uh, it may be a way for them to be able to reuse this. Just for everybody that maybe hadn't heard, this shut down last fall. Just because, again, it was a situation where all of a sudden you're marketing to an audience that just simply doesn't exist right now. Elon Musk's Starlink satellite internet service has been approved in the UK, and people are already receiving their beta kits. This has been a situation where Starlink has been shooting up satellite after satellite after satellite. Yep. And has created a situation where there was some pushback from astronomers because Instead of being able to see the night sky, they're seeing satellites now. Yeah. This is also something that's sponsoring a concern called the Kepler effect, 
where if something in orbit gets destroyed or that type of a thing, it'll take out the rest of the satellites because there is so much stuff um, in orbit that's used and is not used that could create kind of this cascading scenario. But the other side of it is is, is a new uh, option for internet service, and it's been approved in the UK, as you said. They're sending out their kits. The downlink speeds for rural areas is actually very, very good. And what this does is it allows for people that would not necessarily have high-speed access or maybe are still on something like a DSL connection to be able to get high-speed internet. The beta kits run about $600 US per month up front, plus about $120 for a monthly subscription. And they wow. deliver about 85 uh, megabits per second of downlink speed. <laughs> YouTube reports over 100 billion hours spent watching gaming and esports content in 2020. Yeah, so COVID hasn't done anything to make video games popular no, at all. Not at all. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Even the Nintendo wow. Switch is reporting record sales this year just because so many people are using online video games and that type of a thing. Esports, for anybody that doesn't know, is competition within the video game world. is becoming a much, much bigger deal than it used to be. Things like this were done past in the past in the Nintendo days and that kind of stuff and always were very popular, but we're seeing them all over the place. This year being a little bit different, of course, because of COVID, but usually esport competitions are held at things like Comic-Cons and other events like that. And when you really think about it, 100 billion hours... That's a lot. That's a lot of screen time. I, that makes me not feel so bad for the screen time I've had this year. <laughs> well, I mean, when you think about how many billion of people are in the world and, you know, it, it really comes down to like, you know, certain number of people have been just watching like 10 hours, you know, but still, that's a lot of people watching 10 hours of TV a day. Well, I hours, mean, whatever. Well, okay. I mean, when it comes to like esports, you know, like the bigger ones that are popular was like League of Legends thing. Uh, Certain games yeah. like that, where you're looking at a whole competition, you're looking at a weekend of content. You know, it's like the PGA oh. or you know yeah. some of those things for people. You know, some people so uh, count all the individuals, yeah, who are watching one yeah. event. So yeah, no, that definitely adds good. up. But just for a comparison, this is equivalent of eleven million four hundred fifteen thousand five hundred twenty-five years. <laughs> oh boy! Okay. <laughs> well, then I guess this this will add to that. Uh, Lucasfilm reestablishes Lucasfilm Games as home for all its gaming titles. I remember Lucasfilm Games. It's kind of cool to oh, see them I? coming back. It's you know, there's a lot happening in the Star Wars universe right now, and this is just one of them that is a return to being able to have quality content again and that type of thing. Mm -hmm. I know there's yeah. been a lot of concern in the uh, Star Wars community about some of the past movies and that type of thing. But I do have to say some of the series I've seen and all of that seem to be a lot better. We've talked about The Mandalorian. There's some new things coming up. So the idea that we'd have a high-quality distribution platform for Star Wars and Lucasfilm-related games does make total sense. And people are really devoted to the games. I, uh, I, you know, I've done a lot of research for uh, some of the stories that I was working on. and. Uh, people are, they really love those games. When I was walking around as Darth Nihilus, I had people come up to me uh, unexpectedly, you know, and almost like worship me. And I'm like, whoa, this is crazy. There was that guy who begged you to serve so he could serve you. Was yeah. Like, oh, man. Like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it seemed like the Nihilus character, you didn't see him that much from what I saw in the game. So uh, people were really devoted to these games. Yeah. Knights of the Old Republic, I believe, is where he came from. Mm -hmm. and, um, I think was actually I'm hearing rumors we're going to see a reboot of that on VR at some point. That would be cool. That would be cool. So it's uh, 
definitely, uh, definitely seen some things like that come up. But yeah, it's, you know, the video games allow for interaction and it's one thing, but watching a movie is definitely very much a passive platform and gaming allows you to be able to interact. And I know even back in the days of Atari, this was one of the big differences is you had a passive medium, you watch something on television, and all of a sudden you have something where you can interact with it and it's basically on demand in 1978 because you mm-hmm. turn it on the games there when you want it to be. And we're just kind of seeing this type of thing play out. Most of our video content's on demand now. You play it when you want it. But the idea is, is still, I can see where this is definitely going. And back in the day, uh, Lucasfilm had some very high quality games on the old Atari and old Nintendo platforms and that type of thing. Uh, there was a game called Ball Blaster or Ball Blazer, I think, which was one of the first multi simultaneous multiplayer games on the Atari 5200. And compared to even the stuff Atari was putting out, it was high quality. It was well done. It was fun to play. So I can see where they're wanting to get back to that. And with modern gaming and some of the um, problems that we've had in the last few months with studios rushing out games and them not working right, I could see where there would be, want to be some quality control here, too. Wikipedia is 20, and its reputation has never been higher. Yeah, so Wikipedia, the whole idea, we're going to go online and vandalize Wikipedia. Actually, for an online platform for dealing with a lot of just having information available in a free format, it's out there, it's referenced, the media uses it in all kinds of different places, and it's weird to think that it turns 20 this year, which means it was established in 2001, and... um, has definitely been something that uh, that I still use and and most people do and it's you know just a great thing to kind of have this out there and be available. This is user friendly 2.0. We've got a great show for you this week. We've got a Q&A segment, a lot of questions that you have sent in and a number of other kind of cool things coming up. Come back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We're going to be talking a little bit about online streaming, some other shows. We talked a little bit last week and had a number of questions come in from everybody on that. So we're going to talk a little bit more about YouTube and some other platforms. We're also going to be talking a little bit about cable cutting. Bill, I know that you watch YouTube. And there were some things that last week when we had this topic we didn't get to. So I want to throw it over to you and just find out a little bit more about that platform. Well, I think it's something that probably a lot of people have used. I mean, I think everybody I know watches YouTube at one stage or another. But I think it is overlooked in this era of streaming. Um, you know, because you do look at Netflix, you, you look at, you know, your HBO Max, your Disney Plus, all that. And, you know, those are more akin to your traditional television and movie uh, platforms. But uh, for me, over the last few years, even, I have kind of almost gone fairly exclusively to YouTube and uh, similar sites. Uh, not only is it free, but the content, well, you know, you can get some stuff that's pretty low quality. Uh, there are actually some very, very high quality channels and series. And I mean, I'm sure as all of you are aware, there is a lot of uh, very variable stuff that you can find on YouTube. Um, to name some of the my favorites, 
we have talked about him a couple of times here. Uh, you know, Adam Savage uh, from Mythbusters and stuff. He has his own channel. Um, yeah. Adam Savage tested. Yep. He talks about so many different things on this. I mean, a lot of it's prop building and stuff like that, especially recently. I would imagine with where he is in the world right now, he's uh, he's a bit stuck to his uh, home. <laughs> yeah, aren't we all? <laughs> <In San Francisco. laughs> yeah. So I would imagine that's why a lot of that is happening. But, you know, he's covered so many different topics. Uh, one of my favorite was his very in-depth thing about the uh, Blade Runner pistol. That was like a major myth in Hollywood for years. Um, but you also get, you know, in a similar vein, you have true professionals. You know, we have had a uh, crit killing on here before, you know, as a uh, yes. guest. Well, there's other people like uh, uh, evil Ted Smith, the name of his channel. He was also a uh, Hollywood prop maker. He will show you all kinds of stuff, making uh, Mandalorian helmets, chain mail from foam, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, but, you know, getting into like some of the more interesting stuff, let's say you are a person who likes audiobooks. You have uh, channels like Horror Babble who read old stories or um, especially a lot of Lovecraft, a lot of old uh, and a lot of stuff uh, written by uh, Ian Gordon, who is an up and coming author that's been very interesting. And it's got a very old timey feel to it that really brings these stories to life. Uh, there are a lot of channels like those, especially if you like the spookier stuff. Um, there's a lot of arts. Uh, tutorials, a lot of uh, different types of art, digital, traditional, um, I believe. Uh, at a lot of channels, I think there's even possibly some stuff from Bob Ross on here. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I haven't looked that up in a while. But, you know, you get some odd ones like uh, one that I came across recently, uh, Chinese Cooking Demystified, where <laughs> they're in southern China and they're covering stuff that, you know, to probably most western chefs even would be like wait what this this stuff exists because i mean like to them they're like yeah you're probably not going to find this in your local asian food mart even because of just how rare it is but here's you know a way to do things and there, there's been a few that's like yeah if you can't find this you can't cook this this is you know, required <laughs> this dish. there is no substitute in the same vein you know there's one called townsend's that i've come across he is kind of a uh historical recreationist he is building his own log cabin he's built his own workshops he talks about food um from the 18th century and such uh clothing just so much interesting things that um you know foods that we don't eat anymore that would have been common during you know the the frontier and colonial areas which i, I know are a touch topic right now but you know these are things that have been forgotten about that have changed over time that are rather interesting you know uh like original plum puddings cheshire pork pies things like that that i just see on his front page you know uh, like what would fried chicken look like in 300 year old recipe cool that sounds like fun. it sounds like something that like fort vancouver could do you know mm -hmm. <laughs> oh yeah oh yeah and you know getting into more popular things a lot of channels and such or uh I guess media, not really, uh, you know, Dungeons and Dragons, you know, from Wizards of the Coast. We talk yeah. about gaming all the time. Dungeons and Dragons specifically has its own channel. It has interviews. It has 
people playing the game. I watch a lot of people play Dungeons and Dragons, um, not just Critical Role because they're interesting, but there's a lot of people who are very good at acting out with their characters, you know? Um, there's also a lot of mechanical stuff, a lot of interviews with the creators of these, you know, Chris Perkins, uh, Mike Merles, people who write these books and could give you a little bit of their insight into how they're thinking when they're coming up with this stuff. Um, of course, you know, there is music. You know, if you have a band that you like, there's probably a channel for them. Yep. And you can find their music videos. Um, so I guess, really, I mean, just give it a chance. You know, there is such a diversity. I mean, I, I've even found, you know, obscure how to repair things. You know, if you're doing that, if you do it yourselves, there is a lot on YouTube. And there are some things that you got to be a little careful of that... <laughs> Uh, I can't remember exactly what it is, but it's kind of a popular channel, but they were like, oh, do this and do this to try, you know, uh, uh, kind of like life hacks or quick, easy things. And some of those were uh, disputed by other people that it was like, oh, yeah, that that's really dangerous to do. <laughs> oh, that's always fun. <laughs> well, it's definitely open access and you do want to be careful because, you know, pretty much anybody can post. But it sounds like something great to check out. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. This is the portion of the show where you ask your questions and we try to get you answers. How do you send us your questions? Well, that's easy. I can answer that right now. 503-766-6264 is our phone number. One user-friendly on Facebook and Twitter. Send us your questions and your comments, and we'll get them up here in this next section. What questions do we have today? What is Ghost Radio? And the woodpecker. Yeah, this is a little bit spooky kind of idea, and this came in. And I'll start uh, with the woodpecker, and then, Bill, I'm going to hand it off to you for ghost radio and number stations, which are kind of part of that. And the woodpecker was a thing, and I remember this growing up with my dad, who was a shortwave ham radio operator. And every so often, you would get this thing that would interfere with communications that went bang, 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 and it would start. Oh, it would stop. I, I've heard that stuff. Yeah, I've heard was, that stuff. All the affected, weird noises on the radio? It was on the radio. It affected shortwave. It sometimes affected broadcast radio and uh, aviation and that type of a thing. And what it turned out to be during the Soviet area, this was something called an over-the-horizon radar. Mm-hmm. And it was this giant thing. They had a couple of them. Um, it's somewhat disputed, but it looks like they had two in operation, maybe three. Uh, part of it still exists where you can see the ruins of it up by the Chernobyl area. And what it would do is it would send a signal out for doing radar, but it was so strong it went around the world and it would actually interfere with uh, regular communications. And at the time, people were concerned about whether this was some kind of Soviet mind control or something that was going to destroy broadcast communications or that type of a thing. Stopped operating in 1989, I believe it was, was the last time it was detected and has never run since then. And then the other side of this, ghost radio and number stations. Bill, I know that you know a little bit about this. Uh, yeah, it's a little bit of a hobby. Um, a good way to spend an evening if you're bored uh, looking into this. Uh, what number stations and such come into is, on shortwave especially, there ends up being these broadcasts that will come on a station at a certain time or randomly, or they seem random. 
that uh, the reason they're called number station is they would be just someone reading off a list of numbers. Occasionally there would be a bit of music that would accompany it. There would be, uh, there was some that were Morse code transmissions. Uh, there were different types of ones. The first known ones that were started were back in World War I, which were, were transmitted to use Morse code. Uh, there was a lot more that started during the Cold War area. There's some that have been going now for possibly 30, 40 years that have yet to be determined where they're starting from. A lot of them, you know, there was one that was very specific uh, that actually came up in a court case uh, back in 2001. The Cuban Five, as they were called, were charged uh, for spying for Cuba. They were using a numbers station broadcast out of a Tension station in Cuba. So that was a there's a case that's ongoing. There are some that, you know, they've been, been heard all over the world, and they're on shortwave radio. As I said, they're just kind of weird. They just come on, and they somebody just starts rambling on for five, six minutes of different numbers. Uh, they've said that it's a speech synthesis thing, you know, like uh, we would do a text to speech. Uh, some of them were prior recordings, things like that. Um, it's just kind of spooky, you know. It's it's is it government stuff. Is it spies? Is it, you know, just something that happened? <laughs> There's one that's been on the air out of Russia that the conspiracy theory says that it's some kind of a dead man switch, where it's this tone that's ongoing, ongoing. Every so often, you'll hear somebody read, like you were saying, and the idea is is that if it stops broadcasting, that then there's a problem, and it you know launches nuclear missiles or something like that. I don't know how true that is, but it's been assumed. And Tech Wednesday this week, this coming up week, we're going to go ahead and do an article on this and post some links so that you can hear some of these number stations and you can hear what the woodpecker sounded like. And like you say, it's just kind of spooky and something that's out there and uh, uh, definitely part of part of life. All right, I think we have time for one more question today. What is Dolby Atmos? So this is a technology for surround sound. And we've talked about these type of things a little bit in the past. Dolby Atmos features the idea that it's object-oriented instead of speaker-oriented. So what you would have had with surround sound previously was like 5.1 for you have five speakers around you or whatever it is. Dolby Atmos uses digital technology to be able to place sound in space, in a 3D space, so it can move it in the room, and it doesn't require the same kind of speaker setup or any of that type of stuff and gives you a superior sound and audio quality and that type of a thing. I use Atmos. I like it. It's available in a lot of different things. It does seem like something that you do get what you pay for. So if you get a little bit better system, you'll still have a little bit better sound. But it is quite amazing what they can do with all of this stuff. And with more and more of us watching movies at home, a good surround sound system is just as good as a video system and just as important. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Welcome back. This is User-Friendly 2.0. We've had a number of questions come in dealing with topics about internet access and how that's changing and also what the current state of cord cutting is. So we wanted to talk about that a little bit. And earlier in the show, we were talking about the Elon Musk Starlink and just touched upon that briefly. They have the beta kits going out in the UK right now, and it's a $600 base fee to be able to get the stuff to connect to it. 
And then there's a monthly subscription and you get a much higher downlink speed than you would over DSL and some of these other things. Now, back in the day, and Jeremy and Gretchen, I know you remember that, we used to have satellite internet. Yep. yep. Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember the satellite and I remember we had to um, uh, get out a compass and all this stuff to point it in the right direction because yes. they didn't do it for us. That was interesting. Yeah, you bought the equipment and it showed up. And if you wanted it installed, it was almost $1,000 back. This would have been the early 2000s. So and I remember you telling me, don't put your hand between these two parts of the dish and stuff like that. So was yeah, like, that oh, was the later okay. one. We had two versions of it. And uh, the first version was just a downlink. And then the return channel, like going back out to the internet, was done over dial-up. And then later we got one with a microwave transmitter that went back up to the satellite. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was the one that you wanted to be a little bit more careful because you had a you know pretty powerful transmitter. Although you really have to consider that the distance between a satellite and the surface really isn't that terribly far. But you still have to have enough power to be able to deal with it. But the problem with that system was the latency. Uh, latency mm. being the delay <laughs> yeah. between when a signal was sent and when you would get it. You certainly couldn't use it for something like gaming, and even streaming would have problems. Um, that type of a thing w- was very, very difficult. The two-way system was a little bit better, but uh, you still had that type of thing. So this new system that's going out, Elon Musk, by the way, just being one that's offering, Amazon's doing a system, and there's actually a couple of other providers that are launching satellites for this too. I think Facebook is is also trying to do something in this space, and that's the one problem is that they're going to run out of physical space in orbit. Um, yeah, that's going to be weird. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit earlier, and we've talked in previous shows about the Kepler effect in our interview with NASA last year. And the reality is, is that's a real thing. Something gets out of whack and starts running amok in orbit, and then pieces of it start hitting everything else. And the biggest concern about that is that would pollute the orbitable space enough that you wouldn't be able to use satellite communication potentially for a while until it all dumped out. And uh, that obviously would really disrupt modern communications because so much of what we do is with that. But on the other side of it is, is it does bring internet access to places in the world that don't have high-speed data over cable or phone. And this type of a thing, the UK being the first place apparently that they're testing it out, but even many parts of the United States don't have high-speed access and many parts of the world really don't have internet access. And this is a system that would allow to make up for it. So it does definitely have its advantages, but it's one that's going out there that's going to offer competition to some of these other things. And one of the other ones that we've talked about in the past before, which is starting to come into its own now, is 5G. And early on, there was a lot of problems with this because there's different kinds of 5G and different phones and different devices. But the reality is, is working completely, 5G is another standard that could replace something like the cable or the DSL modem. And it's low latency when working properly would feel like and work the same way as a Wi-Fi connection. Now, the problem with that is, is that they've had some difficulty coming to the idea of what standard should be used. And there's different types of 5G. One is one that requires the use of repeaters that would go on your electrical poles and that type of thing. And there's been arguments over right away and if it's safe and all of that. So the other type of 5G can be mounted on the cell phone towers and is faster than 4G, but is a situation where it's not to the capability of what the system could be using what they call uh, narrowband or microband. So you have to look into all that type of thing. And one of the things that comes down to it is if you buy a new phone and you want 5G access, it's important to make sure that you get a phone that can do all the different types. Otherwise, you might find yourself in a situation where you have one and you want to go to another one that's now available. 
And all of a sudden, even though it's a 5G phone, it doesn't work with that version of 5G. So was that confusing? Yes. I but guess that's, so. that's the way this stuff is designed. Yeah. Wait, so where is IEEE on this? I mean, they should be standardizing this requirement, that's a good right? Question. IEEE has drafts for three standards on 5G. And IEEE is taking requests for feedback and that type of a thing. As far as I know, they have not announced a final product yet. So what that means is, is what you're looking at, like with T-Mobile, where they're talking about upgrading a thousand towers a month and all this kind of stuff is 5G, but it's the tower-based 5G. So there's still a faster version of it that we'll eventually see. Okay. Hmm. Fascinating. So. All right, a couple of terms that we threw out there that I'm going to just define. IEEE is an organization for defining standards. So your printer cable, the type of plugs it has on it, that's defined by IEEE. And the idea with IEEE is they've been around for a long time. I've been a member of them proudly for a long time. And it's a situation where it creates where everything's supposed to be cross-compatible. And if if you buy something that's USB-C, it's going to have this kind of plug and work at this kind of speed. Bill, I'm sorry? I said it's a standard. Yeah, industry standard. And as long as you have a IEEE standard, then the idea is is that the cable from one manufacturer will work with the equipment from another, uh, or as we go wireless, the wireless from one will work with another. Now, that isn't to say that there aren't technical limitations on that. Your cell phone provider is still locked to a network. There's still different frequencies that are used. So your phone bought on Verizon may or may not be able to be moved to T-Mobile or another network. And, uh, but that's a little bit different than the standards. That's because they want you to buy a new phone, you know, and it's uh, something that goes down from there. So the other question that has come out with high-speed internet access being a thing is the whole idea of cord cutting. And this has created a lot of churn in the television industry. It's gotten to a point where it's a couple of hundred dollars a month in some cases to buy cable television in the classic sense. You have to have mm-hmm. proprietary set-top boxes. You have to have lines run. So over-the-top, television services, which is what they're called. And what that is, is something that runs on the internet, have come out. These are like your Hulu, your YouTube TV, your Philo, different things like that. PlayStation was in the arena for about three uh, years um, and with PS View, and they actually dropped out of it. So it's something, like I say, there, there's been a lot of churn. One of the things that happened with Hulu was they just bumped up their rates again. It was the second time in two years. So for a regular, what we would call cable television, this is your history channel and your online sports or your uh, sports channels that would come through classic TV and that type of stuff online has gone up. And the question becomes, well, once you subscribe to all of your subscription services like Netflix and then buy an over-the-top service, you're not really paying less. So I have a question. Yeah, you you mentioned Hulu. Well, it doesn't seem like all of these things are perfectly perfected because the TV show comes on at one volume and then the commercial comes on super loud. Yeah, and noticed, it I've wasn't there standards too. in the old days for that kind of stuff? Well, and there still are. And see, this is another thing, too, that uh, applies into this and the Internet being definitely a new space. But what you're talking about is something called the Calm Act. Calm Act came into effect in December of 2012. And what this was was exactly to address this idea of commercials being louder than the regular television show. And it's supposed to apply the way the act's written, from my understanding, I'm not an attorney, but from my understanding, to all my multi-channel TV providers. So that being the case, it would apply to things like Hulu. So if you've had a problem, you can go to consumercomplaints.fcc.gov and let them know and let them check it out. This is User Friendly 2.0. We'll be back after the break. Have you seen him? He's from the future. He's 
Welcome back. This is User Friendly 2.0. Great show this week. You know, it's interesting when we talk about spooky stuff and this whole thing, like with the numbered radios, you don't know where it's coming from, numbered stations and woodpecker and all that kind of stuff during the Cold War era. And uh, listening to some of these things are going to be kind of cool. So check out our Tech Wednesday this week. We're going to have a couple of links within the article where you can actually hear some of this stuff. And I've just been reviewing it kind of after we were talking about it. And it's, it's you know, definitely got its unique place, let's just say, and uh, and that type of a thing. Hey, you know, another question that came in since we've got a little bit of time here was, does Monster.com still exist? And with COVID-19, so much stuff has changed with jobs and the way you work and remotely and all of that kind of stuff. And I know for myself, I've been booking, oh, I don't know, 10 hours a day of screen time or something just because it's come <laughs> down to everything's been online. And um, I know you guys are kind of in the same boat. You know, everything we do, even our gaming and stuff is on the computer now. So yeah. uh, everybody was worried about too much screen time. I think this will definitely take the cake for that. But in answer to the question, yes, Monster.com does still exist. Those things are definitely out there. They're very widely used. Um, there's a number of different sites like that out there. Indeed is another one, as a for example. Where you Glassdoor. Can go out. Uh, I'm sorry? Glassdoor. Gla- Glassdoor is a rating site. Um, no, it's, it's an employment site. They have employment stuff, but you also rate your previous employers on Glassdoor. So it's kind of a combination. Really? Hmm. Oh, and, I didn't uh, know about that part. Yeah. So a yeah. lot of companies, will, even on Monster and some of these other sites, you, and you, yes, you can look up jobs on Glassdoor, but it'll say our company has a Glassdoor rating of four out of five stars. That's where that comes from. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, it's kind of the Yelp of previous jobs, and uh, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, definitely getting out there and putting your skills out. And because things have changed so much in this era, they say that the COVID virus has pushed us ahead five years or more on doing things online, on e-everything. And that's from ordering your meals for delivery to applying for jobs to video games to everything else we're doing. And there is really a lot of truth to that. But you can definitely still go out there. There's definitely still jobs available with the churn and all that type of thing. If you work in an industry where remote work is available, it's definitely something to check out. And for our audience out there that does acting and that kind of thing, sites like Backstage and um, those type of things are available. And all of that works completely remotely. In fact, they're doing the where you actually perform in either a social distance set or completely remotely. There's a lot of opportunity for that type of a thing that you can do right from your computer in your home office and still be able to get out there and get work. So and it's things, not just acting, it's modeling as well. Yeah, but yeah, they they offer a lot of different things, voiceover work and and all kinds of other stuff. It's it's a good site that we all use and there's a number of those type of things out there. It's definitely working uh, you know about going online and seeing what work is available and being able to get your information out there. And with that, until next week, this is User Friendly 2.0, keeping you safe on the cutting edge. User-Friendly 2.0, copyright 2014 to 2021, User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. The views and opinions expressed on this show are those of the host and not necessarily User-Friendly Media Group, Inc. or the station. Music licensing by BMI. Hosting provided by wearetechnology.com. Podcasts available at userfriendlynation.com, theanswerportland.com, or anywhere you listen to podcasts.